Welcome, Harvest Church family, and thank you for joining us this week for our sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged with the message prepared. And don't forget, if you enjoy taking notes, you can download the fillable PDF file on our website at goharvest.org forward slash notes. Right now, let's listen in to this week's message. Well, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning, Harvest Church. It's great that um, we have another opportunity to come together and share God's word with one another. And I want to be thankful to Pastor Perry for giving me the chance. You know, he's got to watch over this pulpit. He's the one assigned here. So anytime he's like, Arkel, you're going to preach, it's like, ah, oh, I'm honored. Thank you so much, Pastor Perry. I hope you're resting where you are and that you'll come back refreshed and ready to go. You know, I was supposed to preach on uh, August 8th, but I got sick and I couldn't. And so Pastor Josh preached. So I would get up in the morning, I turn on the TV, and I'm like, what is the youth pastor doing in a suit? <laughs> like, he had on, like, this full suit, man, like a six-piece suit. You know, if it took off a pants, it would have been the shorts underneath. And, man. And, uh, you know, he's the youth pastor. They don't do that. Now, every time I've preached so far, I've worn, not a suit, but, you know, a nice jacket and some nice pants and stuff like that. So I said, you know, if the youth pastor is going to wear a suit, when I preach, I'm not wearing a suit. (laughs) So I decided to be relaxed today. Today, Harvest, I'm going to preach to you guys on a topic called, Have You Ever Had Cake? Anybody like cake? (laughs) Yummy, yummy. I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Romans. You can get your Bibles ready for that. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. And uh, we all know we're going to have an emphasis on verse 28, and we all know that passage, and that's a passage that encourages us a lot. That passage says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Anybody like that verse? That's a good verse, ain't it? All right, well, before I do anything else, I want to just take a moment and pray and ask God's presence to be here. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to address your people with your word. I pray, God, that the words that I speak would indeed be your words and that our hearts would be good ground, ready to receive what you have for us today. We ask the Lord that there would uh, be a harvest of uh, plenty, that, that there would be fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, and that we would leave here changed because we encountered you today. As we're doing in this, God, we're careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise because you alone are worthy of it. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Harvest Church, whenever I get a chance to speak or I talk to my worship team or I just talk to people one-on-one and we're discussing spiritual things, I I say that it's never my desire to teach anybody anything new. I don't want to teach y'all nothing new. I said that to Pastor Gary the other day, and he was like, what? What are you talking about? I want to hear a revelation from God. I want to know something new. Christianity has been around for about 2,000 years, and a whole lot of people much smarter than me have thought about and read and studied theology. There have been councils and people have met and debated and wrote concordances and, and commentaries and treaties and they have come up with what we call the pale of orthodoxy. Now there's a lot of uh, things that are outside of this. There's, there, there are heresies and things that are not true among all of these thinkings but there, there's the main and plain things that we agree as Christians that this is what it is. 
And so what I don't want to do is what it seems like people are doing today is I don't want to come to you and say something that's never been said before in 2,000 years of Christian history. I'm not that good. To find the, like, the new backdoor, the, twi- the new kind of way to view this passage or this, this book, something that's never been, I'm not trying to teach anything new this morning. I'm just trying to remind us of what's already been determined by God. Because that's, what ha- that's what's happening today, isn't it? That's what's going on in the world is that we are, every, every time you look online is a meme, like a meme about God or a meme about, or, or a sound bite or, or video clip. When I preached the last time, I preached on Ephesians chapter four. And I shared that in that passage, uh, you know, social media has made us fighting each other as Christians, something that shouldn't be happening. But in that passage, I encouraged us to deal with one another with humility, with patience, with long-suffering, with forgiveness, and with gentleness. But now, as I said, you can find that Christianity is kind of broadened in a sense, and not necessarily in a good way, where you can do what the Scriptures warned about and find anybody you like to be saying whatever you want to be saying. And I'll leave you to judge whether or not that inclusiveness, because that's the word out there, the inclusiveness is a good thing or a bad thing. But I just want to stick with what has been the main and plain things in Scripture. So the reason that we struggle with this as Christians is because we're not really sure of the footing or the foundation that we have about the Word of God. As much technology as we have and access to the Bible and access to resources to think through and study the Bible, this is still one of the most biblically illiterate times that we've ever been in as a world and as a church. We don't really know what the Bible says. And so when people attack Christianity or put out strange truths or you see a meme and you're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I can see that. I mean, man, is God really that way? Was he really mean in the Old Testament? Does he really, we don't know how to respond because we don't know the word of God. Sometimes we treat the word of God like, you know, we just kind of do a cursory reading of it and we check off that we've done our devotionals for the day. I was with some people in high school where I used to play football and we were in the locker room and we were talking and somehow uh, the Bible came up. And this one guy, he goes, man, you ain't supposed to read the Bible. I'm like, what? No, you're not supposed to read the Bible. Like, man, what is this, what is this cat talking about? He says, no, man, you're supposed to study the Bible. Okay, all right. I see, I see what you're saying. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved so that you're a person who can rightly divide the word of truth. That implies that there's a wrong way to use the Bible. But we need to study the Bible. See, we're afraid to speak out sometimes because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to have the wrong stance. We don't want to be labeled as a Bible thumper or somebody who's holding on to ideas from this old book that doesn't understand 2021. It doesn't understand the current political and social climate. We're unsure of what the Word of God says, and therefore we don't use it all the time. But that's the enemy's number one attack His attack has always been about what God has said. He attacked both Adams. He attacked Adam 
in the attack Jesus in the beginning of the New Testament and the Old Testament by attacking the Word of God. In the book of Genesis, we see that God says, of any tree you may eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat of that, you will die. So then in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes and his first attack, did God really say? Did he really say you couldn't eat of any tree? First of all, he just twisted God's words. God didn't say that. And Eve almost got it right. She was just about like 99.8% there. Some people say she was perfect. In my opinion, she was just, she was almost there. She said, no, it's not that we can't eat of any tree. We just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we can't touch it. Otherwise, we'll die. Well, God didn't really say don't touch it, but it makes sense that if you're not supposed to eat it, why would you touch it? So I get it. So she was just about there. But then the scriptures say that she, after she was convinced, because Satan said, you will not die. A direct contradiction. God says you die. Satan says, no, you won't. And she convinced her. He convinced her. So she takes the fruit. And then the Bible says that she ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her. Adam was right there. And his response was to say nothing. He didn't say anything. Which one are you today? When you're attacked or you're confronted with attacks against Christianity or non-biblical truths, do you kind of get it close like Eve did? Do you not say anything at all? When we go to the New Testament, we see that Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And then he came out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on him. And within, everyone who was there heard the audible voice of God say, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he was where he was supposed to be. The Holy Spirit drove him there. So he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry. Then, the devil shows up. So the last thing we heard God audibly say, this is my son, and Satan attacks the word of God and says, if you are the son of God, not since you are the son of God, if you are, are you really? If you really are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. He was also saying, if you're God, then why suffer? Why are you suffering? Why are you putting yourself through this? Doesn't God want you to be happy and healthy and rich and comfortable? It's a lie of the enemy. Now, Jesus contradicted that with Scripture. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. That was his defense. So then, the next temptation, Satan also tries to quote Scripture to Jesus, albeit he does it out of context. He uses it and he twists it. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and says, why don't you throw yourself off the temple? Because it is written that he will send his angels to watch over you that you not dash your foot against a stone. But God responded or Jesus responded with more accurate use of scripture. Because actually what Satan said was true. It was written, but he was taking out of context. And he was exalting it over a more main and plain thing, which Jesus said, the Bible also says it is written that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So we just have to think for ourselves, are we Eve, where we get it close, 
are we Adam and we don't say anything? Or are we like Jesus, who's rightly divided the word of truth, who knows his word, who has hidden God's word in his heart that we might not sin against him? And that's how we deal and stand in this culture today. Which one are you this morning? Which one are you? It couldn't be further from the truth that the Bible is outdated or that it's irrelevant to today. Jesus said in Matthew, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. He said that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when Jesus uh, upset the crowds and they left, he turned to his disciples and said, will you leave me also? And what did they say? Where shall we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. So the world is crazy, right? Y'all get it? The world is like, yeah. It's madness out there. There's a pandemic. There is wars. There are political unrest. There is, you know, race issues and sexuality issues. And and then aside from all of that, y'all in here are just dealing with things in your own life. Creation is going through a season right now. Birth pains is what it said in Matthew 24. But let's look together at Romans chapter 8, verses 18. If you got it, say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yet what we suffer now, we're suffering. We're suffering, watching everything that's happening, going through what we're going through, is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children are. A lot of people are saying they're Christians, but they're not really. Lord, Lord. Many will come into my presence saying, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart. So not all of all the, everybody who says they're a Christian are. Against its will, verse 20, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of Adam. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Everybody, anybody sick of being tired? Tired of being sick? Everybody excited to be liberated from this bondage to decay? For we know that all creation, we are part of creation, has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers, Christians too, also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. That's what gives us our strength. That's what gives us hope that we know that we can endure because we have the Holy Spirit. As a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. This is, this can, I mean, to live is Christ, but man, to be with him is going to be so much better. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. My wife, is she in here? Where's she at? She at? She ain't in here? She in? Mm. <laughs> My wife, um, if you know her, she has a lot of medical issues. Right now she's got braces on and her face hurts and um, she's going to have jaw surgery and the jaw's going to hurt. She's always tense and tight and she's had a, she's, but in the new heavens and the new earth, she won't have to deal with that anymore. The Bible in Revelation says that there will be no more crying, sickness or pain. 
There will be no more weeping because the old order has passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. That's what we hope for. But right now, we're going through it, man. Right? Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, and I hope you don't have as much. No, in this life, you will have trouble. So once again, we're all dealing with the pandemic, racism, politics. And we're trying to solve all of these things with earthly solutions. Well, it's not an earthly problem. The problem is not the wrong guys in the White House. The, wrong, the problem is, is that we're sinful humans. The problem isn't that we haven't passed the right laws. The problem is we're sinful humans. The problem isn't that we don't have the right policies or the right views about how we should respond to things. The problem is we're sinful humans. So we don't know our Bibles very well on the whole as a culture. And so if we keep reading in verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because we are weak, aren't we? Part of what I think is going on is that because of social media and the access to information, we are being overloaded with our capacity to take bad news. We're just overloaded. It's just too much. We were not created to have to deal with everything. And we feel like we ought to deal with it because we hear about it. We feel like we should do something. It's not even so much so that the world is getting worse. It's just that we're just aware of so much more. Somebody probably did get shot across the country, but you didn't know about it. But now it's on the news. And now we feel like, well, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? Christian, we're trying to figure out the way to respond. But then we're timid because we don't want to come off the wrong way. The Holy Spirit, though, will help us in our weakness. For example, we don't even know how to, let alone respond, we don't even know how to pray. But praise God, the Holy Spirit helps us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. And then here's verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what can we do? You guys have heard Pastor Perry talk about how he would say this, God would not write a love letter or a book that is too hard for you to understand. Anybody ever heard him say that before? He would say that you're smart and you're able to understand the Bible, but I think sometimes we get intimidated with studying the Bible. We feel like, well, I don't have a Bible college degree. You know, I don't, I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew or Aramaic. I think sometimes we imagine like a monk or a pastor in a room somewhere with books piled up all around him and papers everywhere as he's trying to, what they call, exegete the scripture and try to figure out what it meant to the original. But that's not always necessary. A lot of pastors do do that kind of work to bring sermons to you every week, but you can understand it. You can do it. You can know it. You can study the Bible. There's my wife. Love you, sweetie. It's said that the concepts of the Bible, like the main and plain things, are so simple that a child can understand them. And we believe that, otherwise we wouldn't have a children's ministry. We believe that the children can understand the main and plain things of Scripture. 
But it's also said that some of the concepts of God are so deep that a seasoned theologian can drown in them. That's the awesome thing about it. There's just more and more and more to know and study about God. But God has spoken, and the main things are accessible to us. So what I want to do now, actually, is a twofold thing. I want to encourage you with this passage, Romans 8 and 28, but I also want to give you like a way to begin to think through maybe how you might study the Bible. Now, this is a non-scholarly emphasis method that I've created, or, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's not, you're not going to find this in Bible college, but this is something that I'm doing for you because I care about y'all. I just want to give you this method, the emphasis method, patent pending, don't steal it from me, I'll be rich one day. <laughs> And pretty much what this is, is what you do is you take a word, just one word, and you think about that word. And if you do that to every single word in a specific passage, then you can begin to formulate and begin to glean things from the Bible that you might not have otherwise been able to do. Because once again, we're not taking a cursory reading, we're attempting to study the Bible so that we can know how to deal with the suffering and know how to deal with the way that the world is. Anybody wanna learn this? Okay, if you're ready to jump, say jump. So I'm gonna do this and I hope also that you're encouraged by what this passage actually says. So if we take the word and we start at Romans 8 and 28, by the way, before I do that, let me just say that I'm reading from the New Living Translation, okay? That's the translation I'm using today. And for what it's worth, they say the New Living Translation has been rated to be written at a sixth grade reading level, okay? That's not to say it's good or bad, um, but that the, the King James Version with the these and the thous and the halfs is at a 12th grade reading level, and then some of the other translations, they just kind of get easier to understand. So if you've passed the sixth grade, you can understand this. Anybody fail the sixth grade? Any sixth grade dropouts in here? No? So we're all good to go, right? All right, here's the non-scholarly emphasis method for Romans 8 and 28. It says... And we know, we, we. Okay, think about we. Who is we? We is Christians. Paul's talking to Christians. We know the people of God, the children of God who will be revealed later on. We are the people who know the promise of this. This is a family secret. The brothers and sisters of Jesus, the family of God, this is a family secret. And if you are not in the family of God, you don't really know this. This passage, anybody ever heard somebody say, everything happens for a reason? You've heard people say that? They kind of get that from this passage, but it's not quite, it's not quite white. That's kind of like a wishful, hopeful, you know, man, I just hope it all works out type thing. So they don't know it, people who are unbelievers. But we, we know, we, the family of God, all right? We know this isn't something that we hope for again. This isn't something that we wish for. This isn't something that we just, man, I just hope, we, I hope it just works out. This is something that we know experientially. This is something that you know. Anybody ever know that they know something? Not Google know, but you know no. Not you heard it and you got your, no. You know this. The word know sometimes in the New Testament um, is, is an experiential word. It kind of has the connotation of, a, of, a, of spouses coming together in marriage. 
when it says that you will know the truth, you will experience the truth. You will experience Jesus. And that kind of sure, firm-footed, unshakable knowledge. We, the family of God, know this, what is in this passage. And if you're not in the family of God today, you can become a member of the family of God so that you too can know this. All right? We, the family of God, know, have this assurance. What's the next word? God. God is the one in this passage that we know about. This is not the force, even though I love Star Wars. (laughs) This is not karma. This is not destiny. This is not fate. This is not Buddha or Krishna. This is God, the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who we know is the one who is working behind the scenes. God, we, the family of God, know, have an assurance that God, the creator of heaven and earth. What's the next word? Causes. God has a plan. And he's in the process of actualizing that plan. We have to get on God's page. So often we ask God to bless what we're doing. Jesus said, on this rock, I will send you out to build the church. Is that what he said? No, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. God's got things that he's doing. He's not reactive. He's proactive. And he's actually working on a plan. God is the one working. He causes these things. They don't just happen. God is causing actively the plan that he has. The next word is everything. And another translation actually says causes all things. And I'm actually going to do it that way. I'm going to do all things. Okay? So we, the family of God, know that God causes, actively causes all, not some, not most, not just the great things in life, not just the bad things in life, all, everything that happens, all things, okay? Let me make a quick distinction here in the word things. Sometimes things are out of your control. Things like a pandemic, government change, sickness, family and friends strife, natural disasters, traffic, wildfires, smoke. Those are things, things that you have no control over, okay? They happen to you. But then there are things that happen that are consequences of your actions and decisions, okay? And God can use those things too. We usually think of consequences as negative, but consequences are just the result of a choice you've made. If you go to bed early and you wake up the next day, you're not going to be tired. That's a consequence, right? Okay. So not all consequences are negative. If you eat, you know, pizza and beer every day, then you're going to look like I used to look. Now, I didn't look that way because I was eating pizza and beer. Let me be clear. (laughs) That's no, no. But the point is, is that your, the consequences of your actions are also things. So if, you're, if you work a job and your boss tells you to cook the books 
and you don't, you might get fired. That is a consequence, and that's a thing that happened to you. But if you do cook the books, you might get caught and go to jail, right? First Peter says this, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. In other words, don't suffer because you are up to no good. Suffer because you are a Christian. Either way, traffic, choices, these things work together. These things are the things that are happening. All of them. All of these things. Because you know that people can commit a crime and go to jail and meet the Lord, right? God has used that in order to, to kind of knock some sense into them. We, the family of God, know we have an assurance. God, not fate, not the force, causes, he's active, he has a plan. All, every, and things, choices, consequences, happenstance, all things work together. Because God is active, not the force, not fate. He's working it all together. Have you ever had cake? Anybody like cake this morning? Is there an echo in here? Friday. Anybody ever went to the fridge and taken a stick of butter and just took it? It's nasty, huh? Any of you ever been like Rocky and you, you take your eggs and you crack them in the cup and you just get a little salmonella this morning? Anybody ever reached in their bag of enriched flour and just... That's nasty, ain't it? Anybody ever just went to, you know, get a, a spoonful of sugar helps the... Anybody just eat sugar? Just, just sh- eat? That's sweet, right? We like sugar. Anybody ever just... But too much of that is just like, ugh, right? You know, I'm doing keto, so I don't eat sugar. So that thought to me is just like, Of just too much sugar. But have you ever had a cake? The master chef God, he takes all of these things and he's actively working them together. You mix all those ingredients together and then you stick it in the fire and it comes out to something good, don't it? It comes out to something that's tasty. It comes out to something that's enjoyable. See, the master chef in your life, he's taking all of these things. See, he knows just how much disappointment you need. He knows just how much heartache you need. He knows just how much insult you need. He knows just how many wins you need. He knows just how much joy you need. He knows just how much happiness you need. And he's taking it all. And he's got a plan for you. And he's working it all together. And he's trying it in the fire of your life. And he's going to come out with something good. Amen? Amen? We, the family of God, know, have assurance, God, not the force, causes, he has a plan, all things, every single thing, consequences, happenstance, to work together. He's doing it. He's mixing it for good. For good. Let me just stop here for a moment and talk about good. We, we know that God is good, right? But why is God good? There's a philosophical thought process out there, a question that's called the euthyphro dilemma. And the question poses itself and it says, now is, are things good because God just decided that they were good? 
Or did God kind of discover what was good and that's what he told us? The first one suggests that, yeah, he said murder's wrong, so it's wrong, but he could have easily said murder's okay and then we should be murdering. That's, that's not true. The other one says that he was just out there and he was like, what is good? Oh, okay, not to murder. Okay, guys don't murder. That's another false. It's, there's, there's not those two options. There's a third option. And that suggests, that proves, that shows that goodness is because of God's nature. God is good. He is the standard by which good is measured. Without him, we wouldn't even know what we were talking about when we were talking about good. Evil is not a thing. It's a lack of good. And because God's nature is good, then whatever he declares is good. Amen? Amen. So God is good. Now, the other thing, though, is that people think that God being good is God being nice, God being kind. But that's not true. God's love is not a pampering love. God is not like your grandma who says, here, take, the ex- take an extra cupcake, the one with the extra, you know, frosting on it. God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. God has a plan for you that he's working out because he's good. We have to shift our minds about what we even think it means to be good because, we, because people think that God being good is God being nice and if we're Christians, then we should be nice and we shouldn't ever tell anybody anything about what they should or shouldn't be doing or how they should or shouldn't be living. But then there's this other aspect here. I heard a story of a guy who had a daughter and the daughter was either sick or in an accident, but she was about to die. And the man prayed and pled with God, and God healed. God healed the daughter. The daughter lived. And so he began to thank God, and God, you're so good. Thank you for sparing my daughter's life. And, but then he says, he heard God say, what if I let her die? Would I still be good? God's goodness it's not contingent upon your situation working out the way you think it ought to be. God has a bigger purpose for you in what his goodness... We have to change our minds about what we think goodness means or goodness is. Now, sometimes it is the situation working out, but God has a bigger plan, okay? Works out working together for good of those who love God, Okay? Anybody love God this morning? Come on, y'all love God? Do you love God or do you just like what he does? Man, he got... Yeah, he... (laughs) Loving God is the greatest commandment. They said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the law and the prophets. So we like to think of like love God as A or one and then love people as like 1A. It's like just like right there, you know. And in one sense, they actually are super close. I mean, the law and the prophets can't hang on something that's not that close. But if you examine that, you'll actually understand that even in that closeness, there still is a huge gulf between those two. Because Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father and sister and brother, You cannot be my disciple. There was a man who said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but let me go first go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. 
James and John dropped their nets and left their dad. We're like, we out. (laughs) I didn't do that first service. (laughs) That was was fun. So yes, it's related, but loving God is so much more important. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So don't get it twisted that I can love God and the way to love people is to just encourage them in everything that they want to do and not challenge them to be better, not try to hold them up to a standard, to just be nice to them because God is nice. To truly love God might make you unpopular with people, with your friends and your family and your community. It's not really loving for you to say, no, well, I love God more, okay? For those who love God, that's who he's working for, these people who love God who just don't like what he does or what he gives. And then this last part, according to his purpose for them. What is God's purpose in your life? Or what is God's will for you? Now, when a lot of people think about what God's will is, they're asking themselves, where should I work? Where should I go to school? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should I be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker? What should I do? Should I have Wendy's or In-N-Out? Should I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Should I park in this spot? Should I sit? What is God's will for me? So here are a couple verses about the will of God from Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All right? However, more directly in this passage, we see the answer to what God's will is for you in verse 29. Verse 29 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. All things work together for good. What is the ultimate good that God is working for you? To look more like Jesus in the world. I know that, I know that doesn't feel very sexy. Can I say that in church? That doesn't feel very like, really, that's it? Like, that's the good for me to be more? That is God's ultimate good for you, okay? It's the ultimate good. It's the best thing that can happen for you to look like his son. It's the best thing that can happen for you to be more and more like Jesus. So all the situations that you go through, when your kids get on your nerves, he's doing it to make you look more like Jesus. When you're stuck in traffic and you're running late, he's doing it to make you look more like Jesus. When they vote the guy in that you didn't want, he's doing that to make you look more like Jesus. When you're locked out in your house because of a pandemic, that happens because all things work together and he's using that to make you look more like Jesus. He wants to make you more patient. He wants to make you more loving. He wants to make you more graceful. He wants to make you more merciful. He wants to make you more truthful. He wants to make you more heavenly minded. He wants to make you more humble. He wants to make you more bold in the spirit. He wants to make you more enduring. He wants to make you more focused. He wants to make you more passionate. He wants to make you more like Jesus. What is the good? It's looking like Jesus. God is good to you 
because no matter what you go through, God is near. And the closer you are to him, the more he is turning you into looking like Jesus. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And God can only create what is good because he is truly good. So if you come down with a sickness and you end up in the hospital, all things work together. He's working it out. He wants to make you more like Jesus. If your daughter's going crazy and you, you want to kick her out and get a restraining order, he's doing that to make you more like Jesus. If the man in the White House isn't doing what you think he ought to do, he's doing that to make you more like Jesus. All these things, all these things, all these things that we're going through, all these things that we're seeing, they're here to make you more like Jesus. Romans 8.28. And we know God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Isn't that exciting? So what we've done here is we have taken the unofficial, non-scholarly emphasis method and we have gone through every word in that passage. You see how much we got out of that? Just by taking one word, there was no Greek, there was no exegesis, there was no scholarly, you know. This is one way, my goal here today was to just offer you one way to potentially begin to read through the Bible if you find that you struggle sometimes to glean things from the Word. And you can do this with just about any passage. Brother Musician, if you could uh, come on back up. Like, take Genesis 1. In the beginning, the beginning, the beginning, okay? That's at the beginning of time. Some people say that the universe is eternal and it lasts forever, but to say that there was a beginning implied that there was a time when the universe wasn't. You can go on through, in the beginning, God. Okay, so it wasn't physics, it wasn't inertia, it wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, the multiverse colliding with something. God, God, okay, he created. So you can do this, as you see, almost with any verse. Just take a word and ask God. You always want to bathe your Bible reading time in prayer, asking God to reveal. But that's a way for you to begin to think through how to study the Bible. Let that be a beginning for you. And if you're, if you're beyond that, if you got the Greek stuff and you get, and go and you know, go do what you got to do. But for those of us who might struggle, this is just what I want to offer you. And I also want you to be encouraged today in God's goodness. Amen? If you receive the word of the Lord, give him a hand clap of praise this morning. I don't want to teach you anything new. I don't think that that was a hidden new way of, of, of understanding that passage. I want to encourage you in what you already know. You know the passage. You love the passage. It's just a way for God to reveal something more to you. And with that new understanding, that more full understanding of what God's goodness actually means, I want to ask you to stand this morning and declare God's goodness in this song with me. The song is God, you're so good. And again, he's not good because your situations always work out. He's good because he's using all of it to make you more like Jesus.
And should this life bring suffering, and it will, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. Now with that thinking about God's good, let's sing this together. Let's say, God, you're so good. God, you're so Say it again, say God, say God, you're so good. Yes, you are, Jesus. God, you're so good. Oh, you're good to us, God. here this morning and you are not a part of a family of God. You're one of the people who don't know that God is working things out for those who love him. You can join that family today. In a moment, we're going to pray and you can ask to receive the Lord in your heart and you'll become a member of the family of God. You will be revealed at the last day as one of God's children and you can know that he's working everything out to make you more like his son. So bow your heads and pray this prayer. Church family, you can pray with me as well. Dear Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my heart and to make me your child. I want to get to know you and experience you in your goodness and your glory. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and assure me that you are working things out for my good to make me look more like your son. Lord Jesus, I believe on you now and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to just tell me who you are. The Bible says that when one person comes to, re, to repentance, that all of heaven erupts in praise. So when I count to three, I want you to just raise your hand and let me know if you prayed that prayer to receive the Lord into your heart. One, two, three. Let me see your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning. Amen. Amen. Just one. Come on, somebody give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, I see you back there, brother. Hallelujah. Be encouraged in God's goodness, what you understand that means for you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing on you as you go. God, we thank you for this word today. We thank you, God, for helping us see more fully that you truly are good. We pray that this word be sealed in our hearts and that we can walk in that confidence and assurance that no matter what we face, things or consequences, that you are working it all together to make us look more like Jesus. 
Bless us as we go from this place and keep us safe until we come together at the appointed time. We're careful, Lord, to give you the glory and the honor and the praise because you alone are worthy of it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people who agreed said, Amen, amen. Have a blessed week, everybody. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for joining us once again for this week's sermon podcast. We pray God's blessing on you as you face your day and week ahead. For more videos, messages, and other content, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GoHarvestEG. And be sure to check out our website at GoHarvest.org for the latest information on events and services. Until next time, Stay encouraged and don't miss the opportunity to be a blessing to the world around you. God bless.